And I think confidence is getting really comfortable having hard conversations because when you start to do that, then there's nothing stopping you. I'll have what she's having. Welcome to another edition of Digital Confidence Podcast. Hey, welcome back. This is the She Talks Confidence Podcast. I'm Tony, your host, as usual. And not the main deal here on this show. It's always my amazing guests. And today, uh, <laughs> the amazing Renee Bauer. Renee, how are you? I am doing fabulous, Tony. Thanks for having me. This is a cool thing because you have your own podcast. It's very popular. And now you're like flipped on the other side. And I know when I'm always a guest, I have a little more fun. <laughs> But you actually have to like talk more. I, mean, that's, I, think that's, I think that's why, because we talked right before the show and I can't shut up anyway. So it's probably the reason why I have more fun. I can talk more. So I want to int- do a quick introduction. So for much of her adulthood, Renee found herself lost in doing things that she thought that they ought to be done. Everything she ran up against played tug of war with her good girl ways. And after two failed marriages, she grappled with shame, feelings of worthlessness and doubt. And Renee realized that being a good girl would keep her stuck at the status quo. And that was a life sentence she refused to accept. And she wanted more. That's the impetus of this whole thing that brought on the book. That is things you speak about. I know you also talk about divorce and going through all those that terrible stuff. But today, I would love to talk about that inner good girl and your struggles with that. And what you found was a good solution or a way out of that and how you continue to work with that today. Yeah. So, you know, it's so much of what women try to do and how we're raised is to be a people pleaser, to have very blurred boundaries, to keep everyone happy, to not have the uncomfortable conversations, to put yourself last. And I see it Every single day, I have really good friends that, and it breaks my heart to watch them move through their life doing all of those things. And as soon as we stop paying attention to what we actually want in our own happiness, then that's when it starts to impact how you show up in your relationships as a parent, as a spouse, as a worker, everything that you do is impacted because you're not actually speaking really what you want. It's having those uncomfortable conversations, which I was stuck there for a really long time. I'm a lawyer. I should be able to have uncomfortable conversations and really be used to conflict, right? right? Which makes it even worse, right? Because now you have these expectations that you should know better. Yeah. Right. And I did. So in my personal world, like I knew better, like I could duke it out, fight it out, have all the conflict. But in my personal world, I hated conflict. And so what happened was I was pushing things under the rug. I wasn't having those conversations or I was pushing the things that were important to me. I was saying they're not as important as what someone else wants. So I'll put them to the bottom. I won't stand up for myself. I won't speak. I won't ask for the things or put my foot down and say, you have to pay attention because this matters to me. So putting yourself at a really low priority and everybody else and everything else first. And even as a boss and as an entrepreneur, that's really hard because as one of the things I found myself is I wanted to keep everyone happy. I wanted to make sure all of my employees were happy. I wanted to make sure everyone liked me. I didn't want to tick anyone. Guess what? It's really hard to run a business that way when you're so focused on keeping everyone happy. Sometimes you have to pull back and be like, you know what? I really like you as a person. 
But as an Isn't employee, that, like things yeah. need to change. I'm a people pleaser too. And it's almost ingrained that you want to do that from such a strong subconscious urge to do that. And the solution, as we know, is to completely take take that back and spin it and say, I have to be true to my own values, my own ideals, and my own beliefs. And that might tick some people off. And that's like the worst possible thing that can happen, being a yeah. people pleaser. But that's, but I totally and completely relate to that. So how do you, what happened after that? How do yeah, you get so out? Getting to that point, that's where we get really resentful. So when you're not actually facing, having those hard conversations or speaking your truth or demanding that someone pay attention to what you're saying you need and want, you start to have a lot of resentment and the resentment can fester in your relationship, in work. You show up at work and you're like grumbling and you have that pit in your stomach as you walk in because you're not facing things head on. So I realized, listen, if I want to have the life that I know is out there, that I know like I can see it. And, and I can grasp it, I have to get really comfortable having uncomfortable conversations, facing things, looking people in the eye and say, this is not working out, or you are not meeting my needs. And that stuff is really hard to do. And it's it takes practice. It's, it's like weightlifting. You have to flex that muscle. And the more that you do it, the easier it becomes. Did you find that, you're, that the confrontation part about that, was it harder with men than women or was it equally hard in terms of just back and forth? I think it was equal. I think, but it depends on who was having the conversation with from a professional perspective as a lawyer, like I could have those conversations all day long. I was trained in that respect. Like I knew it was just part of the job, but if I had to have a conversation with my mother, for example, and I had to push back or disagree with something, that was a really hard conversation to have. Because sometimes I wanted to keep her happy rather than ruffle the feathers and deal with the fallout from that. Right. Isn't it fascinating that you actually bifurcated that whole situation to where you acted totally different in the professional setting versus the personal setting? You gave yourself uh, the permission to do that in the professional. Why do you think it was so different between your two sides of your life? I, it's a great question. And it didn't take, it took the moment that I actually blended the two is when everything in my life changed. But for, I'm also twice divorced. And let me tell you, as a divorce attorney, who's twice divorced, I had so much shame. So I could go in and my job was divorced, talking about it all day, telling people it was okay to walk out of a relationship that was toxic or unfulfilling, but I was holding on to so much shame. So I would show up in my suit, my high heels, click clack down the courtroom hallway and be an entirely different person and not share anything about my personal life. And I'd get home and kick those shoes off. And I was broken because I was embarrassed. And I thought something must be wrong with me. It has to be a me problem. So you were carrying that residual energy from the shame that you weren't able to reconcile in the professional life. And it almost doubled down on the heaviness And the issues when you got into your personal life, which zapped your energy from what I'm hearing, took your energy away to really stand up for yourself like you could. Would you consider that almost like a, almost like a reverse imposter syndrome where you where in your professional life, you were so dialed in and so confident in that aspect of your life that it wasn't like you were, you thought you were being an imposter in that. It's almost like you own that so much on the other extreme that when you got back, 
you didn't, you just didn't have enough energy to sustain life outside of your professional career. I, and I think that's exactly what it is. And I think I probably would have lived in that place for a really long time had it not been for a podcast. And so I had a good friend of mine who was part of a group that we're both part of, and she has a podcast. And she's like, listen, I started this podcast. Let me have you. Come on. And I'm like, what's a podcast? Like, who has time for that? Never listen to one. <laughs> so she's, I'll bring some sushi over. We'll have a couple drinks. I'll clip the mic on you. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, sushi? Okay. This sounds like a good deal. We had my husband mix some drinks up. And then mm. she actually started asking me questions. And she never told me ahead of time what we we're going to talk about. And she asked me questions about my divorce. And for the first time ever, I answered them. And I answered them brutally honest. And I like I was surprised at the end of it. I was like, wow, that felt really good. But then when the episode dropped, I had so many women inundate me with emails and messages saying, thank you for sharing your story. And then I realized I cannot live this dual life. I need to actually take my personal story and use it and speak about that. Because all I was doing, I was taking the burying those conversations you don't want to have in that personal life and some of them in marriages and that impacted those relationships. And then I was just doing the same thing in my single life, not talking about these things that I was embarrassed and ashamed about. So I actually started speaking that. And that's when everything changed. And now as I show up, I'm one person. I'm, I'm the lawyer, I'm the divorcee, I'm all, all of these different things, but there isn't a difference between the two people. It's the same conversation that I have no matter who I'm talking to now. Would you consider that true confidence? Did you bring the vulnerability and more of the humanness over to the business side? And do you feel as though that's a strength now? Oh, yeah. One of the things that as a brand new lawyer, when I started out, the last thing you do is bring any sort of vulnerability. Like that's a weakness. You are not going to show anyone your vulnerable side. And especially in at that time, it was very male dominated. And so you had to put on that whole act. And I realized that as soon as I actually started sharing that vulnerability, then clients connected in a really different way. It wasn't just a legal representation. It was emotional connection. And now I could help them on mindset. And now I could walk them through and say, listen, I've been there. I know it really sucks when you don't have your child and you miss them. But here are all of the tools that I used. And maybe you can take something from that and apply it yourself. And everything changed. All of our marketing for our business changed. Everything, our messaging, our name. I completely changed everything because I said, you know what? People don't want another stuffy lawyer. They want a human on the other side who gets the pain that they're going through. My clients have been strong, powerful, professional women for 12, 13, 14 years now. And the fascinating thing is that it's one of those things where all of a sudden you realize and you have this epiphany or this level of clarity that your superpower is the emotional connection, the level of empathy, the level of vulnerability that you're willing to share and just to be okay with who you are and how you show up, which in essence... I'm going to loop it back to the whole show. It's true confidence. How would you define confidence for yourself and how did the creation of that or the building of that get you through this ordeal? I think I've always been really good at faking it, fake it till you make it. Like I've always been able to show up and not make it look like I was nervous. I was always able to speak in front of people and not make it. And people would say like, how, where'd you get the confidence from? I'm like, I'm shaking, inside shaking. I'm not confident. So for some of it's just 
practice in doing it over again and pushing yourself. And that has translated into speaking on stages now, which still terrifies me. I'm not going to be one who's, oh no, it's in me. I get up there and I have no nerves. Hell no. I am like shaking before I get up there. But then you do it because it's, I know that I have something to say. And in, in that respect, it's like, I know I have a message to share. As a lawyer, it was like, I know I can help this person get through a difficult time. And I think confidence is getting really comfortable having hard conversations. Because when you start to do that, then there's nothing stopping you. Because every adversity, every roadblock, every challenge, you know that you can face it. And a lot of times those roadblocks and challenges are other people. And so how do you deal with them? And if you can face that head on and work through, talk through it, and just look at people and say, you know what, it's time for us to either release each other from our life or work through something or figure out where there's a disconnect, then you have so much power. You said something that really stuck with me just now. You said confidence is being okay having difficult conversations. That's a great emotional marker. It's a great pattern interrupt. I think that's a big time tool that can be used by anyone when they find themselves getting that uncomfortable feeling, especially for us people pleasers or non-confrontational people, understanding that when you do have that feeling that you can use this and be okay with the fact that it might be a difficult conversation. I think a lot of the situation, a lot of the problems I found with my clients is the fact that they feel as though they don't deserve to have their own opinion or they don't know enough to have an opinion with whomever they're talking with. Have you dealt with that before? And how do you cast that negative thought pattern aside and just be okay from being you and expressing your opinion in context in the moment. I think the best illustration for this is my current marriage. So I'm married a third time to a person who is my partner in every sense of the word. And I look back at the mistakes I made in previous relationships and I look at not having these conversations or allowing someone else's opinion to matter more than mine. And I saw, I could feel the resentment. I knew what happened there. So when my husband and I were entering into this relationship and things were moving along and getting serious, we both said, okay, let's look at what we've learned from our past relationships and not bring them into this one. And he was the same way where he, which would wanted to keep his ex so happy, or he didn't want to upset his, whoever he was with. So he would bottle things up. And so we sat down one day and we're like, all right, we can't do this. We have to acknowledge this will not be healthy for a relationship. So now we're going to have to have these conversations when they come up and it's a safe conversation to have. And we set in that context, we set some like guidelines. It was like, no matter what the other person brings, it's going to be a safe space. It's going to be heard, received, listened to, talked out, and not rejected. And that was practice too. We've been together 10 years now, actually, married eight. And so that took practice. And now it's, it's so much easier to do. Neither of us hesitate. We call the other person out. What's on your mind? I can tell something's upsetting rather than in forcing it out. So the relationship can be healthy and the communication lines can be open. I think that brings up a great point. It brings up the point of, of establishing boundaries. It brings up a point of thoughtful and deep and honest communication. I know that in in my therapy days when I was a therapist, I worked with a lot of family systems and couples. And inevitably, it would be if there was an issue, 
the woman would talk and she would say, I just don't think that I have a strong enough argument on stuff. Or maybe I'm concerned about something or something's coming up and I have a problem with it, but maybe it's my problem instead of something he's doing, which is ultimately not being confident in that. But I think that the way that you set it up with your partner, do you feel as though it's because you have such a great husband or partner where he understands and he gets it? Or is it something to where you can do, like for anybody can use, any woman can use in a relationship that they can use as a guideline to set those boundaries and be okay with what their expectations are in the relationship? I I think it's both. He's highly emotionally intelligent, so that helps. But that probably wasn't always the way. I'm sure his ex would say something different about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah we, all, yeah, we all have exes that have totally right. different stories, don't we? But I think it's also if one person isn't there or doesn't recognize that, then it's the other person who can set that up just to be like, let's sit down. Let's take this Sunday, go out to lunch, sit down and have a conversation about the things that might be on each other's mind. Like You can set that up in a really non-confrontational way. It's just a conversation. So sometimes someone else might have to initiate that and you kind of set the ground rules we're not complaining at each other we're not pointing fingers we're just going to have a conversation on how are things going what do you need from me that's a great opener rather than you aren't doing all of this how about what do you need from me how can I help like I know you're stressed out I know there's a lot with running the kids around how can I help you and start there and go back and forth in a divorce attorney context, of course, things have already happened. They're not great and they're in the midst of breaking up. Do you ever use that knowledge? Do you ever use those tools and techniques for any of your clients at all going through this process? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We won't tell them that. <laughs> it's not manipulation, <laughs> I swear. No, it's human behavior just because sometimes people have so much anger that they're holding on to and they just want to be heard. And so you give them the outlet to hear and and that works really well in a four way. If everyone's lawyers are there and the husband and wife are there and someone just wants to be heard. And so they're fighting. They want to go back to court because they want the judge to hear their story. Maybe they don't need to tell their story in open court. Maybe they just need to say it in that setting. And sometimes you use those tools and help the conversation along and really mediate with them so they can get that out and feel like, all right, I said what I had to say. Now I can focus on maybe giving in something here or moving towards a settlement and recognizing that neither of us want to stay in this place of anger. What a great way to go. Do you represent both men and women in the divorce proceedings? I have represented both I tend to represent more men, I have found, but I have represented plenty of women as well. I have found that women typically want to be heard and have that emotional conversation. And a lot of times, and this isn't across the board because it it can always flip-flop, but a lot of times men are like, they want to look at the numbers, look at the facts. And so you change how you're talking to them. Because they don't want to have that emotional conversation and talk about mindset. They want to know that, all right, they're going to have enough to pay their bills and they're going to be able to. And so you adjust who you're talking to. And that's that goes regardless of gender. It goes for just assessing who your client is. Like I, one of my not favorite types of clients, most challenging types of clients are usually engineers. And so when I have an engineer come in and I look at the paper, like, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. I know that they are only going to respond to a very strategic black and white. Let me see all remove all the emotion from it. And that's how they typically operate. And so you just adjust how you speak to people based on where they are. When you talk about it from a divorce perspective, I would think, I would assume that a lot of the communication issues between the two 
clients in the divorce proceedings are because one person is coming from a slightly different perspective in terms of what they can hear and what their communication style is versus the other person. Absolutely. People fall right back into their patterns. It didn't work during the marriage. It's certainly not going to work during the divorce. Which brings up an amazing point, patterns. I would like to chat quickly about your book because I think it has a lot to do with that and and to break out of that and to have levels of awareness and understanding about yourself and moving forward. I am so excited about this. It's called She Who Wins. It's Ditch Your Inner Good Girl, Overcome Uncertainty, and Win at Your Life. And I realized that as I was working with the female clients, that a lot of times the problem wasn't actually in the marriage, and it was something that showed up in their life before that. And it had to do with worthiness. It had to do with these uncomfortable conversations that we're talking about, or maybe not having a grasp of their finances, or not releasing a relationship that's come to completion. There were all of these issues that I saw come up for women, not just divorce related. And I said, you know what, I want to write a book that I wish was out there that tackles all of these female perspective problems, but do it in a way that's entertaining, that might make you laugh, might make you cry, might make you feel a little defiant. So it is not a divorce specific book, but it is really for anyone who's ready to up level their life. The framework I teach is for when you get to that point and you don't know what your next move is, when you're stuck and you're trying to figure out what's next, you're saying to yourself, it has to be more than what there is, what's happening. I walk them through a framework that I call stop, drop and roll. It's stop and assess drop your excuses and roll into action and you will always win. So it's so simple and it guides you through each step in order to make that decision and move forward. And what I love about it more than anything, it becomes really clear where you get stuck. So most people get stuck at that middle one. Most people know exactly what it is their heart wants and they're able to say, I know this is what I want, but my head's getting in the way. But once they get past that point, it's the excuses that are holding them back. So we get really clear on how to identify what's holding you back so you can move through that and things can change. And no matter what happens, no matter what the outcome is, you will always win because there's movement. You're moving forward. You're not allowing the status quo to keep you in a place of just, going through life in a haze because that isn't fun. And a lot of people live that way. And depressed and Mm -hmm. upset or passive aggressive or just miserable completely. Is there like a little tip or a little technique or a little nugget that you can share in terms of maybe an exercise or something that you have your clients or you direct your clients to do in that stuck moment that what can I do next? What's the next step? So yeah, let's jump to the role part because most people, when someone gets to that point and they figured out what they want and they figured out the excuses that they're not going to allow to themselves to be held back by anymore, it's like, what's next? And then they're just, they don't do anything. So the role part is rolling into action. And I say, it's not leaping, it's not bounding. It's the smallest thing that you can do to move forward and create momentum. Because once you start rolling, things keep going, but you have to have such clarity. So it's the simplest thing is you say, I will do this when I will. And you write the action and put a date on it, put it on your calendar, put it on your mirror, put it on your phone, whatever it is, and carry through with that because strategy and taking that action has to happen in order to change anything. We can wish and want and think the sky's the limit of all of these big dreams, but if we don't actually take that first step, nothing happens. So that that's a big one. Huge. That starts everything. You have to take the first step. Have to. 
Brilliant. She Who Wins is the book. Renee Bauer, thank you so very much. Ditch your inner good girl, overcome uncertainty, and win at your life. The book is going to be available when? It is on pre-order right now. We have some incredible free giveaways, some really cool stuff right now if you pre-order, and it comes out on September 5th. So how does somebody get into that pre-order line? Go to shewhowinsbook.com and you'll get all of the guidance there. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate it. What And also what I will do in the show notes is I will put your contact information so anybody can get a hold of you through that. Again, for me, you can always get a hold of me at Tony at javabud.com. I'm going to switch everything over to the She Talks Confidence thing once I go through the nonsense of creating my new for the third time website and putting all that information in. But in the meantime, you can still get a hold of me through Tony at javabud.com. Hope things are good and I will see you as usual next week. Take care.